special midweek two-man pod here uh, from Corner Kick headquarters via Zencaster.com. I am a man who has had uh, a new William Saliba chant stuck in my head for the last six days or so, uh, Nathan Strauss, and I'm joined by a man uh, who probably is again back on his I hate this game grind, Nick Devinden. I do hate this game, and let me tell you that William Saliba chant is quite infectious, but right now, Nathan, I think I could be drowning myself in some actual tequila following what was an atrocious weekend of soccer from a Liverpool perspective and from my own personal enjoyment, so much so that me speaking to you right now on this lovely Wednesday evening is the first time I've actually had any sort of discourse or like looked at any sort of like soccer thing really in like the past few days such has been the pain that i'm experiencing i mean we've all been there uh some of us more frequently than others in the last uh i don't know six or seven years but we may as well start on monday and work our way backwards because this was a you know obviously a huge rivalry game a big marquee fixture for some reason being played on a monday Monday night football in the UK at Old Trafford, where, uh, you know, there were pre-match protests against the Glazer ownership. There was rumors or there were rumors rather of a, uh, you know, empty Old Trafford protest. And uh, when we saw the, the 11s come out, I was thinking, what is Ten Hag doing? Why is he playing Ericsson alongside McTominay? Uh, you know, Malasia left back dropping Maguire but then it only took about 10 minutes before I was like wow this team could not look more different than what we saw in the first two matches for United's sake no and I think it's important to start with Manchester United because this is a game a series of games that they lost 9-0 on aggregate last season including that uh, 5-0 loss to Liverpool at Old Trafford where Liverpool absolutely ran through their midfield at every opportunity and this time we saw a very different Manchester United you know the big talking point coming into this game was that Ten Hag had dropped club captain Harry Maguire and had dropped Cristiano Ronaldo to the bench and I think he played players you know Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford obviously have not been in the best form over the past 12 or so months. You know, Anthony Alenga is a bit of a, a prospect for them, but he hasn't been overly consistent. Um, Christian Eriksen, I thought he really had a poor game against Brentford. Uh, Lisandro Martinez is someone who has been really hounded in the press in all circles for you know, quite somewhat unfairly for his size, but also for the fact that he was had a shaky start life in the Premier League so he started players that you know have had individual issues but I think collectively this was the perfect response to the 4-0 Brighton the 4-0 Brentford defeat excuse me in that you saw what I think many Manchester United fans have been longing to see from this team and that is physical commitment you know visual commitment to any sort of process any sort of work rate 
any sort of desire to use all of those, you know, cliche buzzwords in football. And I think for the first time in a long time for Manchester United side, they at least, you know, in the first 60 minutes of this game, totally outworked their opponent in Liverpool. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with the absence of Ronaldo and also the absence of Maguire, who, you know, I, I think he's criticized quite frequently for, you know, the $80 million price tag. But I also think that he is somewhat shielded at the same time by virtue of the fact that, you know, he keeps his place in the England squad. You know, he's, he was, you know, a regular for United despite his errors. And, you know, now he's at the point where he's 29. He should be in the prime of his career. But he was significantly worse than what we saw from Varane and Lissandra Martinez, who I thought had a pretty good game. Some people were saying he was man of the match. I didn't think he was anything spectacular. I don't think Liverpool particularly challenged him. But uh, I will say that this lineup that, United rolled out with and Eric Ten Hag deserves credit for it's a bit risky and this is what I I think we saw a ton of overreaction after this game because Liverpool were the opponent and because it's a rivalry game and because of how bad United were in the first two games I still think this United team as constructed and as as put out you know last match is like a 10th to 8th place team but I do think the fact that they were able to show signs of life is very encouraging. And I'm sure the people who liked it most were the Glazers who will hope that this game and, you know, the the upcoming availability of Casemiro, who was unveiled right before uh, kickoff, could kickstart this team a little bit more and take some pressure off of their sale. But, you know, with all that being said, obviously getting uh, getting Rashford, I think, kicking again as well as a, an out-and-out number nine is huge for the team. But I think this game reflects more on the current state of Liverpool than it does on United because soccer is, you know, to a certain extent inherently random. You have games where, you know, Man City will give up two shots and have 70% possession and they'll lose a game one nil or they'll draw a game three, three as we'll talk about later. But We now have a three-game sample size of this year's August Liverpool team. And I mean August as in the month, not August as in the word. Uh, And I think there is greater cause for concern amongst Liverpool fans based on this game, along with the lack of improvement from the first two, if that's fair to say. Has it just been a three-game sample size to you, though? Because... If you think about the end of last season, we were somewhat critical of Liverpool's performances heading into the Champions League final. You know, it looked like they were having trouble progressing the ball up from midfield. Even back then, their performances seemed a little lethargic and beleaguered. And coming into this season, you know, having suffered that defeat uh, in Paris against Real Madrid, you know, it seems like the style, the style is very much still flat and if not flat i would say even regressive to the point where jürgen klopp is well and and listen like injuries are definitely a part of this right liverpool are still missing tiago they're missing diogo jota they're missing curtis jones they're missing chamberlain they're missing um, key members of their team i mean matip and kanate 
Massif and Kanate who help them progress Nabi the ball the field. Nabi Keita, yeah. who there's a lot of uncertainty and surrounding. Suspe- and Darwin suspended. Right. And there's a lot of, you know, uncertainty surrounding some of those players. You know, is Darwin Nunez going to be trusted by Klopp upon his full return? Is Nabi Keita looking at the exit door with the return to the Bundesliga perhaps in mind? But I think, you know, what what was different from this performance or from the Fulham performance or from the Crystal Palace performance that looked, you know, remotely different to the Champions League final against Real Madrid, even with those players, you know? It was still the same lackadaisical buildup in midfield, uh, a real um, sort of moment of confusion at the back that allows the team, allows the opposition to get the first goal. Liverpool have conceded first in their last seven Premier League games in a row now, extending back to uh, extending back to last season, which is a real. It's not a run that that elite sides have. It just simply is not. Um, you know, teams like Manchester City and Chelsea. And now even Arsenal, if you look at how good they have been defensively, certainly are not teams that concede first uh, in consecutive games. Liverpool have a lot of Seven, issues right now. Sorry, eight consecutive games with with uh, Manchester United conceding yes. the first with conceding the first goal. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Like that is not I mean, a statistic that that belongs to an elite side. That's a statistic that belongs to a relegation threatened team. And Liverpool, to be fair to them, have only lost one of those games that being United. And crazily enough, this United game is the first Premier League game they've lost in all of 2022. But it is still worrying to be three games into his season, Jurgen Klopp's seventh season, and Jurgen Klopp has a real issue coming into seven seasons. Uh, his seventh season with Mainz was the one where he got relegated and he left the club at the end of the season. And his seventh season with Borussia Dortmund was the one where they were in the relegation zone come the the winter break so there there i feel like and you can see sort of the frustration from klopp in terms of the reports are out there that he tried to sign aurelian chiumeni to bolster the midfield you know he's been looking at different midfielder placements but i think there's certainly a frustration from him and a frustration now from the fan base that we you mentioned the lineups we look at um our starting 11 going into a big game against manchester united and there's players like Jordan Henderson and James Milner, who simply should not be starting for Liverpool in these big occasions. And this is a Liverpool team that has to compete against the likes of Mateo Kovacic, against Rodri, against Bernardo Silva, against uh, Thomas Partey, against Dan Kulisevsky, like all those players that I listed. And even you can extend it to, you know, they have to eventually compete against Ruben Neves, um, you know, players Matthias Nunez Liverpool right now have sort of let their squad go stale and I think the Thiago signing a few seasons ago has helped them sort of maintain the steady ship because Thiago is a world-class player but I think you saw against United that there certainly is there certainly is a lot of pieces that need to be refreshed including the likes of you know you pointed out on our phone call on saturday uh andy robertson and co so i think there's it's worrying it's extremely worrying from a liverpool perspective and i'm not certain how it gets better any any faster just just in terms of how bare bones the squad is right now yeah and i also think that you know the seven year point is interesting because obviously i think there's a lot i mean Seven a seven year cycle or a seven year run as a manager in 
this era of football is pretty remarkable. Uh, but I do think that maybe there's been a bit of naivete in the last 18 months about how Klopp's methods progress in the long term. And I think, you know, the Salah sale and the Diaz arrival, I think, go hand the in Mane hand. Sale. Oh, sorry. Yeah, excuse me. The Mane sale, or really the lack of renewing his contract uh, that led to the sale uh, and the Diaz arrival go hand in hand. I think, um, you know, giving James Milner basically an infinite run out, uh, obviously some of that is out of necessity, but, um, you know, I was watching this game and thinking like the beauty of the best Liverpool teams is how it made every player better than the sum of its parts, which I think is not necessarily the case for all great teams. And now it seems like when you remove two or three of the cogs, the replacement, or rather getting getting players to perform above the sum of their parts or above their individual level isn't something that's going to happen from this team. And so, like, if you look at the individual performance of the Liverpool players, aside from maybe Diaz in the second game, uh, you know, like, Trent looks lost. Andy Robertson, who is obviously really good going forward, has had to actually defend a little bit. And it doesn't seem like the the mid whatever triangles he's forming with Milner, Henderson, and Diaz, it's not quite as effective as it is when, you know, there's a real center midfielder in front of him instead of a 36-year-old James Milner. So I don't know. There isn't really an easy solution, too, because it's hard for Liverpool to justify spending massive amounts with this many injuries. But in a Premier League that's probably the most competitive that we'll ever see this year, uh aside from Man City, that is, I think this could be uh, an unpleasant experience if Liverpool don't bring in another body. And like, I just don't understand what the strategy is from that perspective, right? Because Jurgen Klopp resigns for an extra two years to take his total tenure to the club up to nine years. So he's going to be here for the next couple of seasons. And if the plan is to have him stick with the current squad and just sort of like not refresh things in the immediate term like that's a really scary prospect like the Premier League is just far too competitive to be waiting around you know you need to add pieces in order to stay with the pace and like you're saying like Jordan Henderson I think is is someone that we need to discuss because both of the goals came from him giving the ball away rather needlessly Um, the goal against Crystal Palace came from him giving away the ball rather needlessly like he has become you know a liability in that midfield from a statistical perspective even though I think he's you know an amazing leader I think he's a great captain I think he's going to go down as one of Liverpool's all-time greats just in terms of achievements but his footballing ability has certainly regressed in the last 18 months and if we're in a division right now that's populated with an abundance of talent you know it was reported today that West Ham are looking at bringing in Lucas Paqueta for four, from uh, from Lyon for 40 million. Like Lucas Paqueta would walk into the Liverpool midfield right now. You know, Yuri Tielemans would walk into the Liverpool midfield right now. I just think there needs to be a level of urgency from FSG, from Julian Ward, in order to recruit a few players before the deadline, regardless of, you know, who we have available through injury. Because the refresh the refresh needs to happen in order to maintain competitivity 
and especially in a style like Liverpool's that is defined by hard running, that is defined by pressing, that is defined by all the things that we saw Eric Ten Hag's Manchester United do on Monday, ironically enough. Like, the squad that we have right now is looking a little worse for wear in terms of executing what we know Klopp wants to do, which is the first time I think we've really had that disconnect in his reign. Yeah. And my last question to you before we move off of Liverpool is what would it take for rumors about Klopp stepping down or being sacked? I think Klopp is going to have the ability to stay until he wants to leave. I think he is the greatest Liverpool manager of the modern era, just in terms of the way that he walked into this club and pretty much rebuilt the brick and mortar once again and the foundations of the team. He really restored you know, a lot of the values that people really find engaging and love about this club so and obviously you know the, the trophies as well he's won everything there is to win as Liverpool manager so I think when he will just like he did with Borussia Dortmund and Mainz he will define his terms in terms of his departure um, I mean I do think there's going to come a point where he gets frustrated with the lack of of funds and you know Jurgen Klopp is someone who knows what an elite midfielder looks like you know, he's coached Ilkay Gudnuan, he's coached Mario Goetze, he's coached Henrik Mkhitaryan, he's coached Thiago now. Like, this is someone who sought out Thiago after Liverpool won the Champions League final because he knew we needed something different. Like, Jurgen Klopp is not, you know, people for all, like, the, you know, the bluster and the passion. Like, Jurgen Klopp has a degree in sports science. Like, he's an incredibly intelligent football tactician. Like, he is someone who knows that this team needs to evolve. And I think that's why you saw, you know, the sale of Mane and the purchase of Darwin Nunez, which looked great against Manchester City. And then obviously he's young and has a moment of ill discipline. So I think there needs to be, you know, if the buy-in was there from FSG in terms of him giving him, you know, a new two-year extension or however long of an extension, then there also needs to be buy-in from the transfer front as well in order to keep him comfortable doing the job that we know he's so good at. All very good points. But this was not the only uh, shock result for a Manchester side. What a weird game this was. Uh, You know, City were away at St. James Park playing against, you know, Europe Europe hopefuls in Newcastle. And really just had a very weird day at the office where they fell two goals behind. They gave up three consecutive goals to Newcastle. Uh, and ended up coming back and uh, I would say earning a 3-3 draw. This is their first time dropping points this season, uh, leaving Arsenal, who, who we'll talk about in a minute, as the only team to take nine points out of nine. But I think this showed a lot about Newcastle and you know how they're willing to play against top sides, but also that you know there is a way, and there has been in past seasons, but there is a way to beat this Man City team even if you have to get a little bit lucky uh, to do so. Yeah, I think as of right now, this is the defining performance of Eddie Howe's Newcastle. And I think you could clearly see how far this team has come since he's been since he's been there, since he's been coaching the side. I mean, this was an amazing game for many reasons. And like you said, Nathan, I think how many times like last season, you know, maybe this is just still like I'm, I'm in bitter Liverpool mode, but how many times last season did we just see teams you know, set up shop defensively against Man City, 
and then keep it tight and then be like, okay, we're 3-0 down. That's fine. Let's just get out of here. Newcastle displayed. Sorry. Newcastle displayed a lot or a lot. No, like, ugh, I can't find my words for a second. Newcastle displayed just a level of, of energy and willingness to battle and just hard running that I think we've seen certainly collapse Liverpool test Manchester City and do very well against them. I remember when the, I think it was the game where, where Man City were threatening to, you know, go the entire season unbeaten in 2018 and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain um, just essentially like ran them into the ground Man City. Like hard running against Man City, isolating their their fullbacks, you know, making sure that they have to stay super narrow and can't exploit their width has always somewhat, somewhat been the strategy to get at this team. And Alan St. Maximin, you know, this is someone who I think has thrived at Newcastle, certainly hasn't had all the components around him to show how talented that he can be. And I think now that, you know, this Newcastle squad has the likes of Bruno Guimaraes, um, has the likes of Callum Wilson, has the likes of Miguel Almiron playing in a much preferred position out on the wing. I think this is someone who can really show his quality. And I think he did that against City. He ran all over, all over Kyle Walker in that game. And I mean, I thought he was I thought he was the best player on the pitch by a long stretch. You know, that Kevin De Bruyne pass. Um, it was exquisite to get Man City back into the game, but I thought this is a real display of fortitude from Newcastle just in terms of where they are with their project right now. Obviously, there's a long way to go. Um, they're looking like they're going to splash the cash for Alexander Isak from Real Sociedad, which we can talk about. But yeah, in terms of uh, the sports-watching derby, I would say this is a pretty good ad for um, for state-controlled super teams. Yeah, I mean, also, Alan Maximin, such a fun player. Like, also, like... A very fun person because i always see him popping up on my twitter where he'll just like roast fans or like pundits uh and you can certainly see that in his play as well i thought he looked really really good uh i think there's an argument to be made that that bruno gimaraish might be the best midfielder currently playing outside of the big six but uh you know i think this might end up being what life is like i guess the next well, and maybe not the next few years, the next however long this this reign lasts, because Newcastle certainly aren't going away. And, uh, you know, their ability to potentially go from bringing on players like Chris Wood or, you know, Jacob Murphy, who's gotten a good run out for them over the last couple of years, or even <laughs> ex-Manchester United target Sean Longstaff to, you know, maybe bringing on a player like Joe Willock or... Miguel Almiron from the bench and playing Ishak, it certainly uh, portends well for them. And of course, the sad thing is like this draw means nothing for City because they're still going to finish with like 87 to 95 points and win the league by 10 plus points. But no, you know, right. for, there's no such thing for, as for, like for City Champions being... League. Yeah, there's no such for, thing like, as Champions City League being... opponents. No, exactly. And there's no such thing as City being dead and buried. You know, City could be down like three nil or 4-1, and you could look away for, like, two seconds and then look back, and they'd be 3-3 or 4-3 up or something ridiculous like that. You know, the amount of quality that they still have on the ball, you know, once again, Erling Holland didn't have his best game at center forward, 
but the players around him are still so incredible and have such good chemistry that they like I think the thing that that is impressive about City is the amount of continuity they've been able to maintain even with the departures of you know Raheem Sterling of Gabriel Jesus of players like Leroy Zane the continuity that they have the understanding that they have is still from players like Kevin De Bruyne Phil Foden Ilkay Gundogan who scored in this game he seems to always score in important games for Man City is incredible. You know, they have so many reliable players, so many reliable goal scorers. And we saw this against Aston Villa on the final day last season, that there is always a route back into these kind of games for them, particularly in the Premier League, where it looks like they could go down like 5-0 and still somehow find a way to claw it back to 5-5 within like a five-minute interval. Yeah. Uh, And clearly this means more for them in terms of what they do in Europe, because they're not going to be starting Nathan Ake and John Stones for uh, the majority of this season. But uh, also on Sunday, we saw this was a really weird weekend. There were a ton of goals, uh, first of all, and some shock results, I think, for the first time this season, really, because Leeds Chelsea, I think, is worthy of a conversation as well in what can only be described as uh, the best win for America in England since 1776. And yes, I know the Revolutionary War wasn't in England per se, but a uh, huge win for Jesse Marsh and uh, his American boys, including goals from Ben and Aronson, former Wake Forest and Berkshire School star Jack Harrison, uh, great performances from Tyler Adams and Mark Rocha. Dan James didn't look like he was the worst player on the pitch. Huge day. Huge day for Leeds and also a terrible day for Edward Mendy and Chelsea, which is something that I think we can all get behind. Completely. No, yeah, I think we're seeing the birth of major Leeds soccer as they've been dubbed, you know, on social media. And you saw a lot of the fruits of the Jesse March labor in this match. And I think somewhat of a continuation of the foundation that Marcelo Bielsa has set at this club you know their first goal comes from brendan aronson just having more desire than edward mendy really you know pressing high up the field getting the ball back scoring that really uh silky no look tap in into the back of net for the 0.99 xg um i i mean yeah leads were incredible in this game and they're a team that i were concerned about coming into this season and they have absolutely totally proved me wrong just in terms of their recruitment has been completely spot on Tyler Adams I thought was one of the most complete players on the pitch you know this is one of the best performances in this young season so far just in terms of the ground that he was able to cover Um, and yeah Chelsea Chelsea were a mess and I think this is the game that I think we've been all anticipating somewhat from a Chelsea perspective I think Nathan you've definitely been one to point out the flaws of the Chelsea structure right now, just in terms of, you know, the way that they're going about their transfer business. And it keeps getting even more ludicrous by the day, you know, 60 million pound bids for Anthony Gordon from Everton, uh, 75 million pound bids for Wesley Fofana from Leicester city. And what they really need is someone to put the ball in the back of the net because 
they are showing absolutely no signs that they can score goals from open play. It's looking disastrous right now between the combination of Sterling Mountain Havertz. You know, Sterling has that half half chance in the first minute of the game, but really gets shut out for the rest of it. Um, it's just not. It's just really not working right now for Thomas Tuchel. And I don't know if like a change of formation is needed. It looks like they're doing like a three at the back into a four at the back when they have the ball. Uh, Connor Gallagher started this game and I thought he looked like a complete fish out of water in the system. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is still deputizing at right wing back. So yeah, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered for Chelsea. And I'm not sure if they're going to be answered in the transfer market by the looks of things and how scatterbrained their approach appears to be right now but yeah this is a massive win for Leeds this is a massive win for this project at Leeds and you know easily probably I would say the biggest win of Jesse March's coaching career thus far which I think is just I mean this this is unironically one of the biggest or I guess like the Leeds performance in general I think was a landmark day for Americans in the Premier League yeah uh I think I don't like the fact that Chelsea get away with playing four defenders and six midfielders and calling it a day. I also think that if I were a, I mean, if I were a betting man, I would put a cheeky fiver on Thomas Tuchel getting the sack before Christmas because I know he's in talks to extend his deal, but I don't totally understand what Todd Bowley what, why Todd Bowley would have confidence in how this team has played so far, given the fact that they have gone to extraordinary lengths to overpay for a bunch of midfielders, uh, including, you know, Carney Chukwemeka and Cesare Casadei, who I guess really wasn't an overpay necessarily if they come good. Um, but even, you know, you look at their squad right now and they have legitimately 15 midfielders and four strikers, including Raheem Sterling, who's, you know, I would say naturally a winger. Mishi Batshuayi, who I don't think there's really room for him on this Chelsea team, nor has there Michi been... Mishi Batshuayi is still a Chelsea? Yeah, nor has there been since 2017. Oh my God. Kennedy is listed as a striker for them, uh, as well as Kai Havertz, who I think we all agree is also best as, you know, a center forward, maybe not an out-and-out striker, as demonstrated by his play, particularly... Uh, in this last game so I don't know it seems a little bit disjointed and I mean I can't say I'm complaining but when you spend this much money you're gonna want results pretty soon Uh, and so I'll be curious to see how they approach the next week and a half because clearly they need a striker whether that ends up being Aubameyang or not Uh, I don't know if he'll be enough to make this team ultra competitive again Uh, but I mean I'm sure they'll be fine because they've got enough talent in their team to be fine. But I just haven't seen any sort of consistency or really really just the goals to make me believe in them. But uh, shall we talk about a team that has had no trouble scoring goals? I think we shall. And I think we should end this podcast on a positive note. So I'm all in on talking about this team. And this team is Fulham. Just kidding. Although they did get a 90th minute winner from Alexander Mitrovic, who continues to do his thing. Uh, I think Fulham might actually be end up being safe this year. But 
Uh, I'm not ready to go all in on them just yet. Uh, Arsenal went down to the south coast on a lovely day, got two goals in the first 10 minutes from Martin Odegaard, got a banger from William Saliba, and generally just had a nice time out in the sun and beat the absolute crap out of Bournemouth and have now gone three games unbeaten, nine goals for, two goals conceded. I am loving life right now. And I, I don't I didn't think we would be in this position. And obviously the season is going to get more challenging when the Europa League and Cups start happening midweek and Arsenal have to rotate a little bit. But I'm almost I'm probably one or two more Arsenal wins in the Premier League for me to say that they are possible title contenders. Nathan, I think they are title contenders. I genuinely think that this Arsenal team, if they can stay fit, you know, that's a huge asterisk, are title contenders. I think the way that Mikel Arteta's tactics have evolved season on season on season have displayed, you know, a level of maturity from, you know, his tactical setup, you know, the way that he approaches games. I think there was a little naivety early in his tenure that sort of faded away. I think he now has the players to execute the vision that he wants. You know, there's clearly a lot of dynamism. You know, Alexander Zinchenko, I think, exemplifies this quite a bit. You know, obviously starting the game at left back, but he has the freedom to move into midfield, to move into like a lot of these inverted positions and find um, kind of key passes to play. Martin Odegaard finally getting on the score sheets again for Arsenal is huge. You know, scoring for midfield is massive. If you're pushing for a title, you can't just rely on your center forward. But if you are going to rely on a center forward, you can totally rely on the man who looks like he's playing like like OG Ronaldo. Like like they found like Arsenal somehow found like an R9 regen on football manager or FIFA, Gabriel Jesus, like some of the runs. <laughs> that first that goal, making. what he did to set up the first goal was I actually like let out a little squeal. It was kind of embarrassing. Uh, I was actually dog sitting this last weekend. And when he made that run, I yelled and Winnie, uh, the puppy, like looked over at me like, are you okay? Like, are you in need of assistance? Because it's not the first time he's done it in the first three games, but he is capable of just bodying people and then accelerating so quickly. It's ridiculous. Like, how did Pep not get more out of this? Anyways. No, it's it's kind of crazy that, like, and I think I said this on the podcast last week, that I was surprised, you know, early in his Arsenal tenure just about how how good he is at, like, general all-around center forward play you know like holding up the ball bringing other people into the into the into the into the game you know leading the line centrally like he is he has all of these skills in abundance and you know i think the question is you know whether or not bukayo saka is gonna round into form you know we've seen gabriel martinelli um score a decent amount of goals to start the campaign off Uh, i think arsenal are gonna get even better when players like tomiyasu return so I think there's still more to come from this Arsenal team. You know, Kieran Tierney, obviously, as well. But I think, you know, there's a lot of stability right now. And I think for a young team, you know, this is still one of the youngest teams in the Premier League. And we were texting this in the group chat, like the vibes, just the pure vibes that Arsenal are emitting right now, which are usually these, you know, rancid, gross, like you don't want to, you don't want to go there and even touch the vibes that Arsenal produce sometimes. But the vibes right now, are immaculate they're clean uh it feels good you know they have players that you want to support uh they have a for the most part 
for the most part, right. Doubt huge, you know, for the most part right there. But um they have a beautiful way of playing. You know, they have they have played, I think, the most attractive soccer so far in the entire league. It is looking it is looking really good. And I think they have they have a lot of different ways to win a game right now, which is, you know, we've been talking this episode about Chelsea, about Liverpool, about Manchester United, but we don't really know where their ways to win games are coming from. And Arsenal have a few different ways that they can hurt you. You know, they can hurt you with Martin Odegaard. They can hurt you with Gabriel Jesus. They can hurt you with Gabriel Martinelli. You know, maybe even when someone like Emil Smith-Rowe rounds back into form or Bukayo Saka, I think there's just so much talent spewing out of this Arsenal team right now that you have to consider them title contenders in the early stages of the season. What we've seen, I, we can we can finish up by getting back to what we were saying before we went on air today, which is part of me has been thinking or has been a little sad watching this team because it's made me realize how shit the last like majority of the teams in the last five years have been like, what Arsenal have done in the first three games, and really, I guess you could you could include a few more of last season's games in this as well. But really, what this squad of has been able to do in the last three games has made me realize, like, wow, when we were starting Shkodan Mustafi at center back for three seasons, and Socrates at center back, and Ainsley Maitland Niles at right back. And Bukayo Saka even at left back, like it was just a totally different feeling, and it's almost like an entirely new team. And I guess that's kind of the beauty of soccer, is that it is very cyclical. And you know, Liverpool went from playing Fabio Barini at left wing back to you know Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander Arnold within two or three years. Like that's just what soccer is all about. And if you're lucky, you get to experience a couple of different good teams over the course of uh, of your life or of your adolescence, whatever the case may be. But Arsenal have been, since we started this podcast, pretty bad in general, especially based on the expectations for the club. And this year, and presumably going forward, because we don't have a single player in the starting lineup who's over the age of 30, uh, or even who is the age of 30, Xhaka won't turn 30, for another month and he'll be the oldest player uh, in the first team like this team should continue you know god willing to be this good or better for a couple of years and that's very very exciting and it feels like sort of the climax if you will of a, of a journey of fandom which is kind of nice so i'm not totally sure that they're title contenders but we see that they definitely can be and that's you know almost as good in my eyes well, and I think the other thing is they certainly spend like title contenders, right? You know, Mikel Arteta has spent quite a bit since becoming the Arsenal manager. And I think this season they are still, and it depends on what Newcastle get up to, I think they're still going to end up being, you know, the club that has spent the most on transfers in this window um, at over like $150 million. And so I think when Liverpool, when you're talking about, you know, when your team wasn't that good and you didn't really realize it, I think when Jurgen Klopp started to make these big signings at Liverpool, they were signings that the price tag, you know, immediately fell away because the recruitment was just so good that it didn't even, you didn't even think about how much uh, your club spent to get the player. 
know, like Virgil van Dyke was an obvious signing at 75 million. Fabinho was an obvious signing at 50 to 60 million. Diogo Jota, a clear signing at 40 million. Uh, Mo Salah, 35 million, a perfect signing. Sadio Mane, 40 million, a perfect signing. Like these are all players that became uh, foundational bedrocks for the, the next five to six years of Liverpool's success. And so I think there is an element of uh, remembering what you had and seeing what you have now. But I think you need to give credit where credit is due to Arteta and his recruitment team. And I think and also KSC and also KSC. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, a little bit to Josh Kroenke and Stan and the boys at KSE that they have seen that there is, um, you know, some clear data-driven work that has gone into getting Arsenal to where they are and investing where they've needed to invest and investing well and not cutting back on that investment to um, get these players on the pitch for Arsenal. Yeah. And also like the last thing is it, it is nice that there is, or rather that there are players like Emil Smith Rowe, Eddie Nketiah and Bukayo Saka, and even Gabriel Martinelli, who was signed for, you know, under 3 million who basically, I mean, the, the tradition of hail end products, Academy products, playing in the first team was obviously really strong under Wenger, but it's crazy to me to think that Smith Rowe, who's just turned 22, Saka, who's n- newly 20, Martinelli, who's 21. Those are all players. And Nketiah, who just resigned, you know, who's 23. Those are all players who didn't cost anything. And I think it's good both financially, but really in terms of the identity of the club to have Academy players who are, you know, key to the project as well. But uh, yeah, exciting times uh, at the Emirates and a nice little London clash with Fulham is coming up this weekend. Other big games, uh, you know, another relegation six-pointer, Southampton and Manchester United. Chelsea take on Leicester. Liverpool can look to right the ship against Bournemouth, who, in my eyes, and also the eyes of, uh, you know, the table. So relegation six-pointer, let's... Yeah, but I, I think Liverpool, rather Bournemouth, have looked the worst of any team in the Prem, even worse than West Ham, if that's uh, fair to say. Uh, and then Nottingham Forest and Spurs on Sunday, which is a preview of their Carabao Cup match. And then, you know, the window ends next week with midweek soccer. So plenty to look forward to, plenty to talk about Liverpool and Newcastle a week from today. And yeah, Champions League and Europa League draw on on tomorrow and Friday. So we'll have plenty of updates. Uh, and of course, with Caleb, when he comes back from his his venture out West, that's why we have the two-man booth this evening. But uh, we may as well wrap it there because this was a pretty boring weekend of soccer outside the Premier League. Uh, if it, like, like all the big teams won, uh, Juve were held to a draw. PSG did some PSG stuff. Like there wasn't a whole lot that went on, and uh, aside from Bayern, we saw you know, the kickoff putting, glitch in that yeah, PSG we, game. That we was did. Fun. Bayern put seven by VfL Bochum, uh, but like again, as we've as we've said, you know that league is over, and uh, Barcelona figured out how to score. Antu Fati is back, etc. But uh, we'll let Caleb reflect on that next time, and uh, yeah, so transfer stuff coming up. Uh, and more i guess on our next episode but i've been nathan strauss i've been nick given can you imagine if metro ends the positive arsenal vibes this oh, it weekend? wouldn't be it wouldn't be the last it wouldn't be the first time that happened i remember arsenal were on a good run of form a few years ago under emery 
And then we played West Brom and some random Scott who I'd never heard of, or maybe he was Irish, like put, I either put up two goals or a goal and an assist. So it wouldn't be the first time, but uh, yeah, we'll see. It's, it's the unstoppable force and immovable object, but uh, yeah, yeah, we will hope long that live the vibes. Happen. I long say live the vibes. long live, long live the vibes. Long live the vibes.